1: Hey everybody, this is Evan Lazar and you are listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast powered by BetOnline.ag and the CLNS Media Podcast Network. And my God, he is back. The boys are back in town. The band is back together. Whichever phrase you want to use, Alex Barth from 98.5 is back with me in the co-host chair where he belongs. And I am very excited to be doing this with you,
0: Alex. How you doing? I'm good. I just had to come back to remind you about the time that you said... AP All Pro first teamer Gunnar Roshevsky didn't belong in an NFL training camp. Never mind an NFL roster. That was the sole reason for me coming back. I know I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, obviously, me and you both kind of started on the beat together, and then uh, last season I, I joined 98.5. It'll still be over there. I'm, I'm not doing anything less over there. Patriots, Red Sox, Bruins, all of that. I'll still have coverage there, but uh, just adding this one to the repertoire, and I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Absolutely, and we're really looking forward to having you. Of course, you had to bring up the Gunner Olszewski thing. Naturally, he was your personal hero. I think. I think sure. there's a short list of people <laughs> in your life that that are heroes to you, and the Gunner Olszewski is definitely on that list. For the record, that was a comment about his receiving ability. Ah, uh, <laughs> it sounds like revisionist history. But we're really this, this is a what I love about having Alex on is that he knows a lot more of my takes that I don't actually put out there in the public and uh it, it's pretty funny because you know a lot of the ones that i kind of just fly by you or you fly by me and uh, we don't necessarily tweet them we don't write about them right away we kind of just bounce them off of each other so that's what this podcast is going to be a lot like is just us bouncing ideas off of one another takes some of them aren't ready for air but we're going to do it anyways and we're going to go and obviously The big topic in New England right now, whether we like it or not, Alex, is the NFC Championship game featuring one Tom Brady, in case you never heard of him, and uh, Rob Gronkowski is also on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going up against the Green Bay Packers. I don't want to get too much into the Brady versus Belichick kind of stuff because I think your station takes care of most of the talk on that one. So uh, I do want to get into more about the game itself, but I am fascinated by the whole sort of makeup of this season for Tampa Bay because it feels like early on in the year, different times of the year, we saw – a little bit of frustrated Brady come out. Now this week he sounds like a guy that's like, dang, you know, we made it to the NFC Championship game. We're a pretty good team, saying that the Bucs and the Packers are the two best teams in the NFC,
0: and they were kind of destined to meet
1: at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, so I thought obviously not to get too much into the Belichick Brady stuff. Also, I just think that conversation changes a lot depending on what happens in the next three weeks. Does Brady bow out in the NFC Championship? Does he make the Super Bowl? Does he win the Super Bowl? So we can revisit that kind of when we have the full picture of the 2020 season. But I think a quote that summed up the Bucs season great, to, to kind of go what you talked about with the way Brady's handled this year, is when Bruce Arians came out and said, you know what? I'm kind of letting Brady coach, and he didn't get to do that in New England, but he does it here. I don't know so much that he's letting Brady coach, as much as Brady has to coach, because... Kind of in parallel with this Bucks run of success and this hot streak they're on, we've seen fewer and fewer of Bruce Arian's fingerprints on this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. Because guess what? He's not a very good coach. And I guess we can do that rant another time. I don't know if I need to do it now, but in short, he's underachieved pretty much his whole career based on the quarterbacks he's been given. It started out again at the beginning of the year. Now Brady has kind of essentially become, if not the offensive coordinator, the co-head coach. Of that team, and you're seeing them have a lot more success. So, you know, I think this has really become Tom Brady's team. The talk in the off at the beginning of the year that he was going to have to adapt to Bruce Arians system, and he was going to have to kind of learn his role in this. He has adapted a little bit, though. He has adapted. I mean, in the is- last few weeks, though, the system's more adapted to him than he has to it. I think.
1: I think that that's a, that there's a point to be made there, but. When you saw Tom Brady play for the Patriots for 20 years outside of 07 in the 2017 season with Brandon Cooks, did he lead the league in air yards at any point as a Patriot quarterback or in deep passing attempts or any of those statistics? You know, that's Bruce Arians, right? You come out third and three, first drive against New Orleans, and you run four verticals. That That's not Patriot stuff. Right? So I it guess
0: Bruce Arians. more my point is they ran the ball four times. Including a kneel down when they got blew out by the Saints on that, that Monday night game earlier in the year. They ran it over, they ran it over 30 times against the Saints last week. That's where I'm saying not necessarily the, um, the, 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 the within the play approach. But it just looks like the way they are operating as an offense, the way they are scripting plays, the way they are putting drives together, the decisions they're making pre-snap, that is becoming a lot more classic Brady as opposed to what we saw from Arians in the past and even earlier this year.
1: I do think it is interesting that the last time around against New Orleans, really the first two times, they are playing a lot of two high shells against Tom Brady. Two high safeties, rotate one of those guys into the box after the snap into a crosser window or into a hook curl zone to take away some of the middle of the field. But for the most part, they're starting with two high safeties, which is a light box, obviously. And I wonder to a degree and when you have a quarterback like Tom Brady, you obviously want to give him as much control of the line of scrimmage as possible. How many of those looks did he see, okay, we got a six man box here. Yeah. I love to throw the ball. I am Tom Brady, but we got to run it a little bit. We got to hand the ball off to Leonard Fournette. How much of those decisions were made at the line of scrimmage by the quarterback versus Bruce Arians or Byron Leftwich actually calling a run play. And I think the other thing is, is with the Brady Belichick discussion, are any of us surprised that Brady got the better of Belichick this season? Because Brady went to the ready-made team in Tampa Bay, right. right, that had an up-and-coming defense, and it was surrounded by skill talent that put up good numbers. Although he threw 30 interceptions, Jameis Winston still put up a lot of really good numbers in that offense over the last couple of years. So I don't think it's very much of a surprise that in 2020, Brady is getting the, Beliche- the better of Belichick because Belichick was – you know, going into a rebuild. I think right. we all knew that they were going into a rebuild of some sort, especially when they lost the quarterback. So I think that that's really a conversation, like you said, as much as we want to have it right now, as much as it feels bad right now for Patriots fans to see Tom Brady playing in championship weekend for a 14th time. This was always a long play by Bill Belichick. This was always a look into the future for Bill Belichick, where at the quarterback position, he had a guy at 43 years old that needed to win right now. Not five years from now, not three years from now, right now. And the Patriots did not have the roster around Tom Brady to be a win-now team. He goes down to Tampa. They're playing in the title game. I think this can still turn around for Bill Belichick is what I'm saying, I guess.
0: So, and and I know we said we weren't going to do this conversation. Here we are having the the tip of the iceberg of this conversation. The report was Brady wanted a three-year deal, right? And in the the age of 45, and that's always been the goal, yada, 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 whatever. So basically, Belichick refusing to give Brady the three-year deal, the way I look at that, if we can look at it objectively, and I don't think a lot of people can look at this objectively, and I get it, it's an emotional topic. But if we can look at this objectively, basically what Belichick said is, I can do something better in three years than Brady. And then essentially Brady ends for nothing. So it doesn't mean that they are going to be better in three years, but at the end of that three-year window, so this year, next year, and the year after that, so that'd be after the 2022 season, they would be in a better place having let Brady go before 2020 than having him retire and and, and they recoup nothing from that. So I'm looking at it as a three-year window, right? Yes, this year, Obviously a disappointment. Obviously a rebuild. But let's say that rebuild, right, that gets them in the top 15, which they're not if Brady's still here. They they draft Mac Jones hypothetically, and I know we'll talk a lot about the quarterbacks, but I'm just going to throw that name out because it's an easy one at the 15th pick. Let's say they draft Mac Jones. His rookie year, they go like eight and eight. They're still learning, and then the year after that, they're a 10 win team. They're in the playoff. And they're, they're building to something. They have this young quarterback. Maybe they get some young pass catchers in the defensive pieces. Kyle Doug or Josh Uche, they're really starting to round out. Then you go back to this and you look at it and say, yeah, they did move on from Tom Brady at the right time, right? They needed and they needed an ability to rebuild, to reset. They got that. And in this three year window, Bill Belichick was productive in building his team. Now the flip side of that is if the quarterbacks in 2021, 2022 are say like, I don't know, Cam Newton, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Marcus Mariota, and they all win six or seven games, then yeah, you're going to go back and look at that as a huge mistake. Because now all of a sudden, you don't have a young quarterback in place like you wouldn't have if Brady retired, and you also accomplished nothing in terms of building your team in the intermediate. So to look at it as just this season, Brady got the better of Belichick, and I understand why people are looking at it in that lens, because it's the only sample size we have right now. But it's... Got to be bigger than that. The question is going to be at the end of the three-year window, did the Patriots put themselves in a position to be back to regular success using the time without Brady to get younger?
1: Right, and I promise we're going to bring this back to the game itself, but yeah. last point here for me is just if you look back at that decision last offseason to move on from Brady, the biggest thing to me was that if you were going to re-sign Brady – you had to have a way to upgrade the pass catchers around him on the Patriots in order to make it worthwhile. Otherwise you're going to be paying him $25 million to have another season like he had in 2019. Now obviously it would have been much more enjoyable as a fan to watch them go back to the playoffs at 11 and 5 with Brady throwing, what was it, 29 touchdowns to 13 interceptions in 2019 as solid numbers. So that would have been, you know, a more enjoyable season for a lot of people, but it would have been more of the same. It would have been more of the exact same thing that they had in 2019. At times in 2018, it was herky-jerky there for a little bit as well until they figured it out towards the end of the season how they were going to be as an offense, their identity as an offense, rounded into form really in Week 16 and 17 of the 2018 season. We stood there on the field after we got home from Pittsburgh in 2018, Alex, and I remember us I doing a video on, is this it? Is it already over, right? And then they obviously turned it around and went on that kind of one last magical run. But in 2018 into 2019, the offense struggled at times. And if they were going to bring back Brady, they had to upgrade around him. And I think what Brady saw and what Belichick saw was that upgrading around him was not possible with their cap situation, with the assets that they had available to them picking at the end of the first round it wasn't going to be somebody that was going to make a huge impact. And then obviously you swing and miss on Nikhil Harry, and it becomes an even worse problem in 2019 than what it was in 2018 with Gronk retiring. This game, though, against the Bucks, uh, the but for the Bucks against the Packers, I should say, I think a lot of it has to do with the Bucks defense versus Aaron Rodgers. You know, I think Tom Brady is going to have his moments, like he did against New Orleans, with moving the football. But can this Bucks defense stop the MVP of the league? I think that that's a pretty big question mark still, because as great as they played against Drew Brees. This is a totally different animal. Drew Brees can't throw the ball more than 20 yards down the field anymore. He's retiring. I think 20 is generous. Already, he's already retiring at the end of the season. or you know, That's a rumor, at least, that he's going to retire. Aaron Rodgers at, his, at the peak of his powers in a great system that he's finally actually running and not freelancing as much as he used to. How
0: much do you really feel like this Tampa Bay defense can hold up against Aaron Rodgers? I mean, they have to. because. Truth be told, I wasn't wowed with Tampa's offense against the Saints. I wasn't wowed with them against Washington. But you look against the Saints, all three of their touchdowns, to quote Linda Holliday, came off of turnovers, right? That was the only three times they scored. They got down on the goal line a couple times, but they were held to field goals. You can't do that against Green Bay because you're not going to get three turnovers. And I know Rodgers was a turnover machine last time they played. I really think that game was a fluke. You know, every single quarterback in one of these seasons has that one game. Even 07 Brady had that game against the Jets, remember? Where he had like, it was like 160 passing yards, no touchdowns, something like that. So, you know, they, they need to produce on their own. They need to produce independently of the defense, and they haven't really been doing a great job of that throughout the playoffs. The big plays have been there at times, but, you know, stringing an entire drive together and then finishing things off in the red zone has been a struggle. You know, Jair Alexander is going to be as good or better than any cornerback that Mike Williams has faced during this playoff run. I think he's a difference maker. I I think Zadarius Smith is a really good player and can give that offensive line problems because I know Tristan Wirfs has been considered one of the better tackles, rookie tackles in football this year, and he's shined at times. But when he's gone up against elite pass rushers, they've made him – they've turned him into a clown. I mean, he has struggled. Against, Not the against Cameron Jordan.
1: He <laughs> had right, yeah. a great game last week against Cameron Jordan. Before but- that though, I mean,
0: the game, was it Khalil Mack who like every second or third snap, he was just on his back. Um, and I put, I, I count to Darius Smith, I think, as an elite pass rusher at this point. I think he's had a fantastic year. So, you know, I look at it like that. The other thing that's going to be interesting in this, and I can't believe we're talking about this when it comes to Tom Brady, but is the snow. Yeah. And Brady obviously has had success in the snow. A lot of these other guys have not. The majority of these other guys have not played in the snow. They have not practiced in the snow. And the other thing is, do you remember about a month ago, two months ago, Brady made some quip about you'll never see him in New England again in the winter because of the cold or whatever. That's going to come back to bite him if he doesn't play well. I'll tell you that because it's not, even if you've done it a million times, right, in scuba, Tom, and all of that, I don't know that you just snap back in and do it. And Aaron Rodgers played in the snow last week. He had that dominant snow performance against the Titans back in December, right on Sunday night football. Yeah. He, he's, him and the Packers are going to be ready to go for that. I don't know that, you know, it might take the Bucks a quarter to warm up for that. And against this Packers team, if you spot them a quarter, that might be the game. So yeah. I believe I'm saying this, but the weather in a Tom Brady game might factor not in Tom Brady's favor. I think it factors more for the rest of the team. I have
1: no doubt that Tom Brady is going to be able to play in the snow. I mean, he's done it his whole life. You right. know like, point really is know. Like
0: if 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 his receivers are slipping left and right and his right. line can't get footing, you know, it's not – when I say Tom Brady, I mean the offense a, as a whole. Obviously, I think Brady will get caught up pretty quickly, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if if he has a drive or two to shake it off. It's been a while. And then, yeah, the rest of those guys, I think it could be a problem.
1: Right, and and the biggest thing I think for the – Buccaneers defense against Aaron Rodgers is really pressure on the quarterback, but m- mostly penetration on the offensive line and the line of scrimmage. This is a system, and we've seen it with McVay and Kyle Shanahan. They love bootlegs. They love moving the pocket. They love outside zone running. And all that they want to do is string you out, right, is, ma- is string you out and make it hard for you to get pressure on the quarterback because he's moving around in the pocket and he- you can't really find him. So – in order to get after this scheme, and something that they did a little bit in that win that the Bucks had over the Packers was attacking the line of scrimmage, putting five, six guys up on the line, rushing guys through gaps, making sure that you have some form of penetration up the field. And then obviously you have to have some sort of game plan for Devontae Adams that I think was better than what the Rams put out there last week, even though they did. Can we call that a game plan? I, they had some moments Jalen Ramsey did against Devontae Adams, but the biggest problem that they ran into was a lot of those schemed opt- opportunities that Mike Le- uh, Matt Le- wow. LaFleur likes to draw up. Uh, there's so many LaFleurs I can't keep track of. Well, I thought you were going to
0: say Mike McCarthy for a second. No,
1: I, his brother is Mike LaFleur. He's Matt LaFleur. Yes. Okay.
0: Matt. But Mike LaFleur, McCarthy was also the coach of the Packers. This is true
1: too. So it's very confusing. You know, there's a lot of Mikes and Mats. They love to move Devontae Adams around the formation. And Jalen Ramsey actually didn't travel with Devontae Adams into the slot or when he came in motion all the time. He Jalen Ramsey did not shadow Devontae Adams in that game because LaFleur is so good at finding ways to get Adams matchups to get him away from the top cornerback on the other team so how are the Bucks going to handle that matchup I think is really interesting obviously Antoine Winfield Jr. is probably going to be over the top of Devontae Adams for most of the game going back
0: to the Bucks offense real quick though Wait, wait, wait I, if, if we could stay on that real quick because I actually have points yeah. on that uh Carlton Davis has been one of my favorite players really good yeah um, around the NFL I think he's you know Going to be one of the better corners in this league. Physical, wearing 24 for the Bucks. I mean, that's certainly a fit. He, this is this is a big test for him. This is a huge, huge test for him. He played well against uh, against Michael Thomas last week, and we know that Thomas was dealing with a number of injuries. But you know, he's to me has been a really fun player to watch. I think he's a guy that could end up being one of the premier defensive backs in the league. And having him and Winfield there on the back end is certainly a nice base for that Tampa Bay defense. But that to me, when when that matchup is on the field, right? The Packers offense against the Bucks defense. I'm, I'm, I hope Carlton Davis travels with Devontae Adams. I think he should. I hope he does because that's going to be a ton of fun to see who wins that one.
1: I was really kind of surprised that Jalen Ramsey didn't travel more with Adams in that game last week. And I think the biggest thing for this Bucks offense is what you mentioned is pressure. Rashawn Gary, Darius Smith, those guys really got after Jared Goff in that game last week. And it was a lot of line stunts. We see them all the time here with the Patriots. T&E stunts, tackle end stunts, and penetration up the middle and I know that Patriots fans hate to hear it. Brady fans hate to hear it. But pressure up the middle can rattle Tom Brady a little bit. And if you're going to beat him, that's how you got to beat him, right? The edge pressure, it's not going to get there. He's going to get rid of the ball. He's going to step up in the pocket. He's going to avoid it. Pressure up the middle is harder to avoid, and Mike Patton is a defensive coordinator that loves to run double-A gap pressures. He loves to stunt the defensive line. He loves to just do things that get pressure up the middle on the quarterback. So that's going to be the difference, I think, for in this game is the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, as it often is, can the... Packers defense get penetration up the middle on Tom Brady. Can the Bucks defense get penetration at all on the Green Bay Packers offense? Because their scheme is going
0: to try really hard to avoid all those types of situations. Let's move on to the AFC game. Oh, wait, quick, one more quick on that. Sorry, Um the, the one big name to watch that we didn't mention is Kenny Clark. Yeah, and the way the Packers play their defense, and they like to kind of spread everything out, and they like to go light box and in drop linebackers in the zone, and all that. The only way you can do that is with effective defensive tackle play, right? We saw it here for years with Vince Wilfork. The defensive tackle doesn't necessarily need to be in on the play, but they're essentially defending the whole middle of the field about five yards back, and they can't let anything happen between the guards. And the Packers are the same way with Kenny Clark right now, and I'll tell you this. He's been playing some great football. He has played his best five-game stretch of the season definitely these last few weeks, maybe the best five-game stretch of his career. And you mentioned the pressure up the middle, I think running the ball, too, we see how much that eases the passing game for the Bucs. Look at the two Saints games, right, as examples. The Packers' defense is going – and I talked about to Darius Smith and G. R. Alexander, great players, but the Packers' defense is going to play as well as Kenny Clark plays. If Kenny Kenny Clark shows up, the Packers are going to be fine. If Kenny Clark struggles, that's going to open the door for Tampa.
1: And we saw last year in the NFC Championship game, the 49ers – Run the ball 50 times against that Green Bay defense because they kept on, you know, bringing those safeties back, putting those safeties back to stop the play-action deep shots from the 49ers' offense, and it opened up the running game. And the Niners ran for 300 yards or something like that. Crazy. Garoppolo,
0: some people's hero, threw the ball eight times, the fewest ever by a quarterback to win a conference championship game since 1971. By the there way. There you go. We can do, took his team to the Super Bowl with Let's, let's move
1: over to the AFC let's side, okay? All right. I think the fascinating thing about this game is not necessarily the game itself. If you're from a Patriots perspective, what I wanted to talk to you about, Alex, is both these quarterbacks are a great example of trading up in the first round and having it work out, right? So the Kansas City Chiefs, there were concerns about Patrick Mahomes. I don't want to sit, people to sit here and act like everybody knew from Texas Tech that Patrick Mahomes was this surefire franchise quarterback, MVP, perennial, all-pro player. He had concerns. He was coming from an air raid system. He was coming from a conference that didn't play much defense. He has an unorthodox style, not really the the by-the-book mechanics. Those were his concerns. Josh Allen obviously had tons of concerns coming out as well, right? Accuracy down the field, lower body mechanics, footwork in the pocket, pressure poise under pressure. Everything.
0: Everything but the arm, pretty much.
1: Everything but the arm. And the Kansas City Chiefs ended up trading their 2017 first-round pick, a first-round pick in 2018, and a third-round pick to sweeten the deal to Buffalo, ironically, to move up to – draft Patrick Mahomes. And here we are a couple of years later, and the Chiefs are back in the AFC title game for the third straight year and got a chance to go to another Super Bowl. The Bills did it a little bit differently. They actually moved up twice in that draft in 2018 to draft Josh Allen. They moved up from, I believe it was 21 and then to 12 and then to 7 to draft Allen. So both of these teams mortgaged a lot into their quarterbacks and they traded up. And I think as a Patriot observer, Patriot fan, you can look at this as sort of not the only blueprint to rebuild a team, but certainly one blueprint to rebuild a team
0: to kind of take away from what these two AFC teams have been able to do. So I I put this out on Twitter, I think in like October. And I basically went through, I looked at all the top 10 picks in the last, for the last 12 years excluding the last two right cuz the last two drafts are just they're too recent we don't know but i i looked at all the quarterbacks taken top 10 in that span which ones were traded the, the picks were acquired via trade and which one it was the team's natural pick so real quick here if you hold your pick right if you pick with your pick in the top t- or sorry first round not uh yeah no top 10 top 10 um Baker Mayfield Jameis Winston Marcus Mariota Blake Bortles Andrew Luck Ryan Tannehill, Cam Newton, Jake Locker, Sam Bradford, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan. That's who you get picking in the top 10 when that is your pick. You earned a top 10 pick. Trading into the top 10, you get Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Patrick Mahomes, Mitchell Trubisky, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, RG3, Blaine Gabbert, Mark Sanchez. So I kind of look at those two lists. Mahomes certainly skews things heavily to Group B in in the picks that were traded for. Now, I had to pick a cutoff. If I the cutoff had been to pick twelve, you throw Deshaun Watson in there, and he goes to pick A. So like it makes things a little different. My point you cheated. You cheated. You cheated. I think I honestly I went in with the, I, I forgot where Mahomes went. I went in just thinking top ten because it's an easy number. Um, my point being, you probably have some higher upside on Group B, but like you have multiple MVPs in Group A. and and potentially three coming if Baker continues his ascension, right? Matt Ryan flirted with an MVP at one point. He won an MVP. He won an MVP. You're right. I'm thinking Luck flirted with – or did Luck win one? He flirted with one. He flirted with one. So Sam Newton, Matt Ryan, Angel Luck, like these are all good, sustainable quarterbacks. The ultimate point being, I don't think it matters. If you're picking in the top ten, you're going to have a good shot at it, however you get there. The real question is – How do you want to go about your rebuild? Because if you go, and and we saw the Bills try both. The Chiefs really only did one. They didn't even really, like, rebuild. They kind of almost lucked into Mahomes in a way. But do you want to go all out, tank, strip your roster, and go for that number one overall pick? It can work. You might get an Andrew Luck or a Cam Newton. But how for every team that does that, how many teams strip their rosters and don't recover? Remember, the Jets did that just four years ago. To get right. Sam Darnold, they totally bottomed out. Three years later, they bottomed out again. The Jaguars, they rarely ever pick first, but they're almost always in the top five.
1: Well The Jets just don't know how to tank
0: properly. That's the problem with them. Well, no, the problem is they do it too completely. And and this is getting to my point. The other way to rebuild, it's not necessarily a tank. I, I call it a soft rebuild where you, you, it's kind of what the Patriots are doing. They have competitive pieces, right? That defense was a top 10 defense in the league, as much as people want to trash on them. But there's still obviously pieces they need. You end up kind of in the middle. You you keep yourself sustainable, and then you trade up, and you go get that top 10 pick, and you go get the quarterback. And then, on the flip side, you know, the Jaguars aren't contenders next year, even with Trevor Lawrence. They're not. They have too many holes all over the roster. They're just not going to be. If the Patriots hit on a quarterback... They're probably contenders next year. They have to add a wide receiver, obviously, but they're probably going to do that. They have to add somebody up front. I'm not saying they're perfect, but, you know, let's say Matt Jones puts up the year that, that I won't say Herbert because he was rookie of the year and he was great, but, you know, let's say the, the year that Joe Burrow had before he got hurt where he was playing well. He's clearly still a rookie, still making mistakes, but he's playing well. If the Patriots, with their roster, you add a receiver, you you get onto Hightower back, and you put that quarterback in the offense, they should win nine or 10 games. So, I personally am in favor of the soft rebuild. I think blowing up your whole roster, you you risk irreparable damage to your franchise. You know, people are going to get, people aren't going to want to wait. They're not going to want to stick around while you win two games for three or four years. They're not going to trust the process Mm. in Philly. You have to stay competitive while doing it. And I think, you know, the Bills didn't do that as much. Uh, They were still pretty bad, even though they were picking at the back end. The Chiefs had it right. They had Alex Smith in there. They had the bridge. They had some talent. They were in the playoffs, I think the year before they drafted Mahomes. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then they just really hit it. So, uh, I, I think we're all learning the whole tank for Trevor thing and all of that. Like it can work. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I don't think the risk is worth the reward when, you know, you look at some of the best, the three best quarterbacks in football, I would say this year were, were Mahomes, uh, Rogers and Watson. And they went, Mahomes went 10th, Watson went 12th and Rogers, I know was a different era. But- 23, right? In the 20s. So, you know, you don't need that. Drafting a quarterback is a crapshoot. Whether you take him first, whether you take him 199th, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, there's a little bit of help with the first overall pick, but I don't think it's that game changer. You know, this year there's a generational guy, I get it, but I don't think that first overall pick is the ultimate game changer in drafting a quarterback that some people think it is.
1: Right, and the reason why I brought it up was twofold. One was what I said at the beginning. Is yeah, I don't even remember why you brought that up. I just went on that. Patrick area. Mahomes and Josh Allen had flaws as prospects. Yes. They were not perfect prospects. Neither one of them were. And yet they both team. The prospect is? Buffalo and Kansas City took their chance. They traded up to go get their guy. They took a chance on it. And with a lot of, you know, kind of tinkering around those guys, you know, I don't know if Patrick Mahomes turns into quite this caliber of quarterback without Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid pointing the ship first, right? I don't know if Josh Allen has this type of season. Without Brian Dable and Stephon Diggs, right? Those things are definitely all true. Yeah. But the point is, is that they took a chance on trading up for the quarterbacks that had flaws that weren't perfect, Trevor Lawrence type of prospects. And it worked out for them because they were able to do the things around them that was necessary to pull them out and make sure that those guys succeeded. But they also then had a quarterback on a rookie contract. And this is still, to this day, the most valuable thing in the entire NFL is when you can have a, a good franchise quarterback on a rookie deal. Because what you are able to do, like the Buffalo Bills did, was sign veteran players into their cap space, because they're not paying the quarterback. So the Patriots could go ahead and they could draft Mac Jones or they could trade up for a Trey Lance and they will have a quarterback cost controlled for four possibly five years. That's one of the best assets that you can get on all of football. And then they will still have close to fifty fifty five million dollars in cap space, more plus more if they make some other move, cap saving moves, you know, Marcus Cannon retires or something like that. No to- more. Spread a whole lot more money around to the rest of the team. And you look at some of the other flaws that they have. What where, what are the main ones besides quarterback? It's obviously a weapon on offense, right? They need a number one guy. They need a pass catcher. You can get those in free agency. You can get those via trade,
0: right? It doesn't have to be a first round pick that you take a guy. You and not can, just, not just can. That, that's how they should go right. around. The they other they don't do need that. guys on a learning curve. They need guys who are ready to go.
1: Exactly. And then defensive tackle is a need, I would say, or defensive line in general. Linebacker, I would say, is certainly a need. Those are not premium positions anymore in today's NFL. Those are not guys, for the most part, you can get guys on day two that can contribute in those roles. I think a person that's sort of the perfect example of that is Fred Warner in San Francisco, who's the exact type of player the Patriots need. Third round pick. Right, that's that. He was not a top fifteen guy. He was not Micah Parsons getting drafted in the top right. ten. So you can find a lot of those guys. You, what you can't find is quarterbacks. You can't find them. You go and you look at the last five, six, seven years of drafting quarterbacks. There is no quarterback to be had anymore, like Tom Brady at one ninety nine. I mean, mean
0: is Russell Wilson the last? Like great to go outside really, of the first round, Dak. You're right. Yeah,
1: Matt Prescott's the last one to really go outside of the first round and turn into a franchise QB. I guess you could quibble with like Kirk Cousins and Andy Dalton and those types of guys, and how how good Dalton it was. was the side, first round really.
0: Pick, I thought. Th- those guys what were was was all outside the first round. Dalton? Where, where, I thought Dalton was a first round pick.
1: No, Dalton was not a first round pick. I believe, I believe he was a third. Um, We can, we can look it up quickly and get the exact answer. Definitely not a first round guy, I don't think.
0: He was one of the top quarterbacks in that draft. You can look it up quickly. I'm pretty sure that... 35th, 35th. He just missed the first round. There you go. Point
1: stands. Just missed the first round. Thank you. (laughs) So basically you're saying
0: saying that if a good quarterback is on the board at 33, they should pass.
1: I'm not saying that I'm saying the odds of a good quarterback being on the board at 33 are pretty long. And I I think that the, when you look at sort of the metrics of it, especially in recent years, there are so many instances of teams trading up to draft guys before they fall, you know, further down the board, a guy like the Lamar Jackson's a perfect example. He fell all the way to 32, but the Baltimore Ravens didn't let him fall anymore. Right. They traded back up. On the end of, uh, you know, night one and got Lamar Jackson in there. So on top of the fact that you have the quarterback you, on the rookie contract you don't need to use that those first round picks that you traded up to get the quarterback on a wide receiver because we just mentioned you can address that in free agency or via trade you have all this cap space to still work with to add the, to the rest of the roster you still have all your mid round draft picks to hit on some of those secondary needs that you have you know defensive tackle linebacker things like that maybe offensive lineman for future use you know a third tackle something something like that there's all these capabilities that you have when you don't have to pay the quarterback big money. You trade for Matthew Stafford. That there goes half your cap space in one player. You gave up a pick to get him, and you just got, wasted twenty-five to thirty million dollars
0: on the quarterback position. Well, in, unless you don't give up a pick for
1: him. How or are you giving a
0: pick? I mean, because the the, the the interesting thing with this offseason is they do have Stefan Gilmore, and he's probably going to end up getting moved. So I think if you're making that trade. That's where Gilmore comes in, more so than a pick. Um, you know, J.J. Watson, you know, I think if you're going to trade that pick, it's not for a quarterback. I look at, at the potential of trading that pick, and, and there's a report that J.J. Watt, Watt wants out, and he'd be a great fit. The um, issue with
1: trading Gilmore to a team like Houston and Detroit is, why does a rebuilding team want a 30-year-old
0: cornerback? I don't that think – Because I, I don't think Houston – Detroit, fair. I don't think Houston believes they're rebuilding team. I think that I like. I don't think Deshaun Watson gets traded this offseason. I know well, the report. Believes
1: they're a rebuilding team because he just signed a six-year contract with Houston to make sure that he wasn't going to, you know, be in a situation where he's gone in a year or two. That's the tough part with Gilmore to me is that he wants an, another contract. He wants to get. He right. wants the Revis deal towards the end of his year of his career that he got that Revis got with the Jets. He wants that other contract. You're going to have to give up an asset to get him. He's a player, Gilmore, that is destined for, like, Dallas, for example, who's desperately needed cornerback help for a long time since Byron Jones left, especially. And they are a team that's going to have Dak back next year. They have all the pieces on offense already in place. They just need to bring their defense together. That's a team that maybe would entertain a Gilmore trade. I just don't see why a team that's rebuilding that was 4-12 and last year, like Houston, is going to be interested in a
0: 31-year-old All-Pro. Because I think that... When it comes down to it, they're going to get one more chance to pitch to Deshaun Watson. They're going to get one more season. And if you know you have one season to keep your 26-year-old franchise quarterback, you're going all out. In that sense, doesn't Stephon Gilmore make perfect sense? That defense was awful last year. They need defensive help. If the goal is to keep Deshaun Watson in the building, then I guess it makes more sense. That's, that's what like. Like, if Deshaun Watson gets traded, that that option's on the table. I'm just saying if Houston still believes, and I, I think they do, just based on what I see, if Houston believes they can keep Deshaun Watson, but they have to convince him to want to stay and that they're invested in making him successful now and getting him to the playoffs and getting him to the Super Bowl now, then i think gilmore makes sense if if watson gets traded then yeah they're not they're not an option for for gilmore anymore i'd say but what i i don't remember what was your original point it's the bills the, the chiefs my, my, where are we going with this my point basically just is
1: that i don't think that we should be looking at quarterback prospects in this draft upcoming draft and looking at the flaws and saying it's it's too scary to draft that guy because all these guys are imperfect prospects and more times than not in recent years if you've identified a guy that you've traded up to go get it's worked out pretty darn well for a lot of teams you know you have teams like Houston teams like Kansas City teams like for uh, obviously the Buffalo Bills A lot of these teams have traded up for that quarterback, and that hasn't been perfect. And I think Trey Lance is the perfect example of this because he's probably going to be the most likely guy to be there. And he only has one year of tape. It's in the FCS. It was great season for him. He lit it up. He had some concerns, though, right? He has some concerns, accuracy concerns, mechanical concerns, things like that. But at the end of the day, the risk greatly outweighs, or the reward greatly outweighs the risk with these quarterbacks, right? You're, yes, you have a chance that you could bust. You also have a chance that you could draft Jamar Chase, and he could bust. You know what I mean? Like, you have a chance of busting on anybody, and the just the reward of hitting on that quarterback, especially a young one on a rookie deal that's going to be your franchise QB for a very long time, is so paramount. It's just a way that it, it just doesn't – it shouldn't be something that we're crossing
0: off just because Trey Lance is not a perfect prospect. Or just so, – what I would say to that is if they really believe Trey Lance is the guy, and I'm not as high on Trey Lance as, as, as some people, but I get it. But if, if they really believe he's the guy, then go for it. What you can't do, and, you know, for every team that traded up for Patrick Holmes and every team that traded up for Josh Allen, you know, you don't take a quarterback just to take a quarterback. You don't trade up for a guy just to trade up for a guy, and you think this is the guy because you end up saying, look, it's pretty, right, do. like, like, like I, I just, right away off top of my head, Eagles trading up for for Wentz, uh Washington trading up for RG3. Uh Mariota obviously kind of set the Titans back until they ended up with Henry. Um all these guys kind of went 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 back to back with each other, right? Um but I would also argue that a
1: lot of those guys failed because the situation around them failed and their coaches failed them, right? And also I guess that's my
0: point. Is that
1: – Aren't you confident, though, that Bill Belichick's not going to draft Mitchell Trubisky 2.0? Like, aren't I, you confident I mean, in your evaluation that he's not going to do that? And aren't you confident that so. Bill Belichick's not going to take his young quarterback that has an ankle or whatever it was that RG3 had in that playoff game and play him anyway on bad grass and have that situation kind of spiral
0: out of control yes. on him? That's wait,
1: what
0: happened wait, wait, with all those guys. Okay, Wentz, um, I think, you know, Wentz got Goff, hurt. You know, same thing. Wentz had injury. When Wentz is healthy. Injury people have recovered for his issues this year were an injury related. I'm not sold. Joff, Goff essentially got benched for John Wolford.
1: Derek Goff's a, a good one because so, that's similar to Trubisky though, and that it was, they should not, Goff was
0: not the guy to trade up for. And that draft, that, not that, draft that's what up. I'm saying. They needed a quarterback. That was the hot name, and it felt like they just kind of did it because they they had to do it. Like the narrative made sense, regardless of who the quarterback was. And when you do trade up for a quarterback, especially Trey Lance is probably going to go in the top ten. Those picks are expensive. You are you you are in some ways, even though you're adding to your future, you're mortgaging your future. You're giving up a lot to get those guys. I just want, if, I, I, you I, don't just have don't pieces this, in sorry. place.
1: Right, but well, just you, you got to focus on the other assets that they have at their disposal, though. They don't if they they have that sixty million dollars in cap space to go ahead and sign Allen Robinson to add him to Trey Lance, right? Or yeah. they have the they have the ability to do all those things. And I think that the quarterback position being cheap and having a young guy to build with for a long term plan. It makes a whole lot more sense than than I think going after a Stafford or a Matt Ryan or that Marcus Mariota Ryan yeah, level. Yes. What, what I what I guess what I'm saying is so let me let me read the shout out our friends at BetOnline.ag and then you can make your point. I promise. All right. So. If you liked what we said at the beginning of the show about the Bucks or the Packers or maybe the Chiefs and the Bills game and you want to place a wager, there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust. It's BetOnline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sports experts, okay,
0: make your point. So what you asked me before, and it's a fair question, like is Belichick going to take to Mitchell Trubisky? Is he essentially going to get peer pressured into taking a quarterback? No. But you look at what these top ten picks cost. It's usually that year's first, another first, two or three second-round picks. You're essentially giving up two or three years' worth of your premium draft spots. Is Bill Belichick going to do that? No, I don't see it. I don't see it either, but the
1: problem is, is that if you don't do that, then you're stuck in a short window with the Matthew Stafford
0: or, or Matt Ryan. Who Except, they can take a quarterback at 15. It's not like they're picking 30th anymore. My 50th, all the good options be
1: off the board. And this is going to get into a whole nother rant for both of us. It's just too early for Mac Jones. We both like
0: him, Alex. We both like the tape with Mac Jones. It's too early. There's no if 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 it is a the most important position in sports. If there is a quarterback and you think that is the guy, too early does not exist. Has to nobody is looking. Nobody is looking at this because would remember, you drop Kirk Cousins 15th overall? When when Russell Wilson, if I thought he was the guy, when Russell Wilson went in, what is it? 2014. He went in the third round, and that was early. People thought he was going to be a day three pick. Russell yeah. Wilson went in the third round, people thought but it was Russell early. Any is anybody saying round. is anybody saying, you know, yeah, they got their guy, but oh, if they used that third round pick on like a defensive tackle and then gotten Russell Wilson in the fourth, who knows how much better they'd be? No. If the guy is the guy, you take him. You don't pass on the guy just because oh, the numbers don't line up. So where's the spot for him? Seventeenth? The is issue is, the issue is, the issue take is take not everything? that that maybe
1: he is the guy. Russell Wilson also fell because he transferred him because he was short. All right, and nowadays in the NFL, if but Russell, the point is the point, they they were reached for him. him. It wasn't the spot; it was too high. If, if they Russell took was him. Worked out just fine. College football now in twenty twenty, he'd be a top five pick in the draft because Kyler Murray already did it. Baker Mayfield
0: already did it. The the whole height. But yeah, it's, not about, not, it's, it's not about his specific player type. I am saying that if you believe a player is good and you only have one chance at drafting that player, especially at such an important position, it doesn't make sense. Let me put it this way. If they don't take Mac Jones at 15, they're probably not going to get him, right? Pending some crazy trades. If they think, let, let's just imagine for a second, they or anybody, I'm going to take Mac Jones's name out. There is a quarterback who is projected as a late first-round pick. They are higher than everybody else on this quarterback. They believe he's the guy. They are down to two players. They both think that they are, you know, franchise players. One is the quarterback who's supposed to go at the end of the first round. The other is a defensive tackle who is supposed to go in the top 10. He fell. They're picking 15th. One guy, based on the projections, is great value. The other guy, based on the projections, is a reach. Who do you want them to take there?
1: I would take the quarterback too, but here's my concern Wait, with that's all I'm Here's my that concern. All here's my concern is that to me, Mac Jones is a distributor. I don't see a guy with electric arm talent. I don't see a guy with electric athleticism that can create it outside the pocket or out of structure. He is a guy. He's a point guard playing quarterback, and there's nothing wrong with that,
0: right? One there's of those something. Quarterbacks almost won the Super Bowl last year. One of those quarterbacks was a bad Kyle. Shan- a few bad Kyle Shanahan dishes. To shiz- to shiz- a few bad Kyle Shanahan decisions away from winning the Super Bowl. One of those guys, like you just described, has been fawned over in this market. That's been been a perfect perfect comparison for the question. For five years.
1: I get that. But at the same time, the reason why Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo were five plays away from a Super Bowl title was he was throwing the Kid. He had Debo Samuel one way, he had Emmanuel Sanders the other way, he had an electric offensive line with Raheem Mostert behind it, right? and he had a great, great fullback. Let's not forget about Kyle Juszczyk. And they had a great defense by a defensive coordinator who's now the head coach of the New York Jets. So that's the biggest reason why the 49ers were in that game to begin with. The yeah. problem is, is can the Patriots build the rest of the roster on defense and offense, bound to made a quarterback that is Jimmy Garoppolo, that is Kirk Cousins, that is that level of a passer that isn't somebody
0: that is going to really do something on his own. So to go back to what you said before, right, about how the Patriots have all these assets and they can go, they can go get themselves an Allen Robinson if they want. Hunter Henry potentially all this, right? If you are going to do that, Isn't Mac Jones the kind of quarterback you need? Isn't it worth it at that point to draft the Mac Jones and save those draft assets and build up your future and get guys behind all those players you sign so you can keep it going once those guys age out?
1: The question is, is which one would you rather? Would you rather have the quarterback that the all pro quarterback, all pro caliber quarterback, I should say, in terms of talent, physical talent that you can then go use your mid round picks, go use your cap space to add the guys around him. Or would you rather have like what you're suggesting a, a more complete draft hall, right? Where everybody is sort of fitting into place, and you keep all your picks, and you're able to do all those things. I, that's, I think, a very good question. I want to get into this breaking news right now because right. we all we all, there's something
0: play. about the Bills and the Chiefs. Like, are we? Do we, we even pick the last in, game? We're in, we're in that game. Is that over?
1: I didn't want to talk about it. I wanted I, to talk about that. The Chiefs are rolling,
0: I just want to throw that out there.
1: Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. I think yeah. they're going to win that game. The Philadelphia Eagles, we were going to talk about Josh McDaniel's candidacy with the Eagles. They have decided to hire Colts offensive coordinator Nick Seranian. Ceran- I think it is. I have never heard that name pronounced. I was hoping you knew it. I think it's Saranian. This makes all the sense in the world. I think it's actually hilarious in a lot of ways that the, the Eagles cannot quit the Andy Reid coaching tree. They can't quit it. They can't quit it. So Andy Reid, of course... Goes to Doug Peterson, then from Doug Peterson, it goes to a Frank Reich disciple and Nick Saran, I can't say it. The Colts offensive coordinator. That is really where we're at
0: right now. Josh McDaniels. Wait, Sirianni. There you go. Sirianni. That's not that. Hard.
1: Sirianni not going to Josh McDaniels. He will not be the next coach of the Eagles. What is the deal with Josh McDaniels? Why I know you're not as high on him as I am, so why does nobody have any interest in this guy? Also, I do think it is interesting that the Eagles went with uh Ceranian instead of Eric Bieniemy, who was uh, yep. Siri, like your phone. This is why this, oh, is, this is why you should be hosted. Siriani. <laughs> that I think it is funny that they went with him instead of Andy Reid's guy and Eric Bieniemy. they went with Frank Reich's guy instead. Continuing the long line of offensive-minded coaches in Philadelphia, they are never going to hire a defensive coach as long as Jeffrey Lurie is the owner of the Eagles. But why no McDaniels?
0: Why would they? I guess would be my question. What What has Josh McDaniels done in the last two years that you want to hire him? He put together one of the league's worst offenses. And on top of that, he still has the Colts issue hanging over him. I, I still think I, I said it that day. I was doing, you know, one of these shows with Mike. I think it was actually Patriots speak back when, when, when Mike Petralia hosted it and we recorded that night, the night that McDaniels kind of bailed on the Colts. And I remember saying he's never going to get hired again. Forget head coach. No organization outside of the Patriots is ever going to hire him because he was building a staff. People moved. People yeah. quit their jobs. That's, you know, in a sport where, you know, every football coach, it's one of the biggest cliches. Accountability is key, but it's true. And that's one of the least accountable things he's ever done. Now, you know, why did he do it? Was it Did he realize it was wrong for his family or something? Like, I don't know. Maybe he himself had a justified reason. This isn't to come down on McDaniels and call him a bad person, but it happened. It is what it is. And, and it's viewed around the league as, you know, his, his agent dropped him after that. People forget that his agent dropped him, the highest-paid assistant coach in football at the time, and the agent said no, thank you. I mean that was a a, a toxic event. Yeah. The fact that he even gets interviews at this point kind of surprised me, right? He was supposedly close with the Panthers last year, but there was a report that they were essentially using him to kind of pressure uh, Matt Rule into taking the job. I, I I'm not surprised. I was surprised when they interviewed him. I, I, you know, between the way the Patriots' offense looked last year and the Colts thing and the way things went in Denver, remember, what is the first thing he did in Denver? He drove their franchise quarterback out the door. And outside of a quick stint with Peyton Manning, which just kind of fell into their laps, really, since Jay Cutler left, I mean, Kyle Orton was fine. He was not a franchise quarterback. Tebow's Tebow. You're going to do your guy Drew Locke like that? I like Drew Locke. I do. And we'll see. Maybe Drew Locke is the answer. I was going to say that. But my point being, like, He had a, a pretty disastrous short-term outing with the Broncos. Some guys are meant to be coordinators. Right, exactly. I guess, I guess that's kind of what I'm saying. But yeah, I don't, you know, I don't see him getting another job. I don't, I really don't. And it's, I'm sure he's a nice guy. It's nothing against him personally, but when you look at everything that's happened with him, especially you take a guy who created a volatile situation in Denver, he created a volatile situation in the Colts without it ever being handled. And you're going to put that guy on this Eagles team right now? It's like you know, you know the meme with the guy, and he's boiling oil, and he throws the French fries in, and the whole thing explodes. I mean, that's kind of what adding Josh McDaniels to that locker room would be right now. They don't even know who their quarterback is. So right. yeah, I'm 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 not surprised they passed on him. I'm not surprised he's not getting more interest. People were like surprised when the first round of interviews came out, and it was a lot of the names we expected: Robert Sala, Eric Bieniemy, who should be hired, by the way. Um, uh. In, uh, in Buffalo, Brian. Why am I blanking?
1: Brian Table, thank
0: you. It was like, "Where's McDaniel's? He, he's back in New England, where he should be." Like this, I, I'm not surprised at all. This is, to me,
1: this is a great example of some guys are just meant to be coordinators. Some guys are just meant to be position coaches. Some guys are just meant to be coordinators. The Patriots have a bunch of those guys in the past. Dante Scarnecchia never wanted to climb up the ladder you know, as happy as an offensive line coach was one of the best position coaches of all time in NFL history. and home But at the same time, he did not want to be an offensive coordinator. He had a great, a ton of say in sort of the big picture, especially in the run game designs of how the Patriots ran their offense, but never wanted to actually have the title offensive coordinator. Josh McDaniels has bigger aspirations. He wants to be a head coach. He told us as much uh, before at the end of the season, in his end of season press conference, he said, I still have aspirations to be a head coach. The problem that we're finding is that because of all the reasons that you mentioned with the Colts, with the Broncos, his leadership skills, His ability to be the CEO of the football team, he hasn't been able to sell anybody on that. Howie Roseman, the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, was ready to hire Josh McDaniels. He liked McDaniels. He enjoyed his time and the interview that they had with him that lasted all day last Sunday. McDaniels was there for 12, 13 hours or something like that with the Eagles brass. It was close. The person that Pulled the you know the rug underneath it and didn't like it was Jeffrey Lurie, the Eagles owner, because the Eagles owner kind of felt like, wait a second, it's a Belichick disciple. They haven't done very well, but Daniels has a lot of these issues as well of just kind of being a leader and being that CEO type of the organization. I'm not 100% sold on this. Let's continue to do our due diligence and look at some other guys. And that's what ended up happening. And here we are sitting, and they didn't hire Josh McDaniels. And I think this is going to be Josh McDaniels' destiny to just be an offensive coordinator. And I think he's a pretty good offensive coordinator. I think he gets a lot of for not having great talent the last couple of years. Is he the best play caller? No. Sometimes the situational play calling, the second and longs, the third and, and longs where he's calling screen passes, when he's not really dying up anything creative, it gets frustrating. I get it. It, it. It's not always the best. When it comes to play designing, game plans, in-game adjustments, offensive philosophy, and just sort of the big picture of offense, Josh McDaniels knows what he's doing. He's a pretty good coordinator in that respect. But is he the guy that's going to be that front of your franchise, put him in front of the podium, this is our head coach? For any other team in the future, I don't think I see it. And the Patriots, in a lot of ways, are going to benefit from that and that they get to keep McDaniels. But there's also that argument of when's something else is going to come in? When's that extra little flavor of new going to be able to come in here and somebody different? and I think that's where that quarterback's coach position where they hired Jed Fish last year didn't necessarily work out in terms of the end result, but that's the idea, right, is to get somebody in that quarterback coach role to be able to go through and, and be something a little bit different and give McDaniels some fresh ideas and a fresh perspective into this offense. Hopefully they can find somebody, not Adam Gase, please, somebody else that can do something like that for McDaniels, but I, I do think that a lot of the flack that McDaniels gets for the last couple of seasons is unfair.
0: Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned where, where would the, the new come in? And I, I think it would have been really interesting because not only would McDaniels, obviously if he gets hired by Philly, he's gone, but I would think Gerard Mayo becomes his defensive coordinator. He'd interviewed for the Eagles job. They obviously like him. The two of a relationship. It doesn't seem like Mayo is going to get promoted to defensive coordinator in New England for a number yeah. of reasons, none of them being his fault. And I think that's unfortunate, but, um, yeah, you know, it would have been an interesting opportunity. You mentioned the next guy, and I don't know if this is for the quarterbacks coach, but you know, I look at a guy like Troy Brown, right? And he was kind of volunteering with the team on, or he was with the team on a volunteer basis, and then they make him the wide receivers coach. And then they take this guy who was a great wide receiver, right? One of the best wide receivers in franchise history. And they make him a running backs coach. And you look at that, and you think, that's a little odd, right? Well, you have this great receiver, wouldn't you want him working with the receivers? But when you dig a little deeper, and Belichick's talked about this, and he wants his coaches, even if they're coaching one position, to understand all the positions, right? So you take this guy, in Troy Brown, who was a great football mind, and he hasn't coached wide receivers, and he even coached the running backs. And I wonder if that's kind of preparing him to be the next offensive coordinator, and they want to move him around the offense and get him different spots. I don't, I don't think that he would become the quarterback coach. Like I'm not going to go that far, but you know, something different for McDaniel's. I'd have to imagine Troy Brown's offense, even though they came up in the same system, would be a little bit different. I'd imagine his philosophy would be a little bit different. Josh McDaniels was a D3 quarterback and then a lifelong coach. Troy Brown played receiver in the NFL for over a decade. Like, I'd be really interested to see what his play call style is. So, you know, you talk about new. I I don't know how we get there because, like I said, I don't think, you know, McDaniels is leaving when he wants to leave. I don't think anybody's taking him away. And we know the rumor about he's been promised that he's the heir apparent. But if that situation somehow did present itself, maybe Houston doubles back around and grabs it, which would be moronic. But maybe they do that. Or are they the only opening left? They are. Yeah, so I guess that would be it for this year. But I'd love to see Troy Brown get a shot in that chair.
1: And Troy Brown, because he's with the wide receivers and he has the history as a wide receivers, that's your passing game side of your brain. You go to coach running backs, now you're getting into the running game and how that sets things up the best offensive coordinators around the league understand protections. They understand line protections and how the offensive line factors into the rest of the, of the play call and the rest they of the program. The line.
0: line coach this year is what you're saying.
1: It, it's a very important part of the puzzle because a lot of guys, a lot of coaches, a lot of play designers get up there on the whiteboard. They draw up these crazy route combinations and then they – Think about it, and they put it on the practice field, and they say, let's practice this. The quarterback gets sacked every single time. And you say, what the hell is going on? And then you realize, oh, wait, I got to think about the protection too, right? I got to think about if I have this double move over here and it's going to take a little bit of extra time to get the foot throw off, but I only got five guys in the protection, that's not going to work in the NFL. So that's a big part of it also is the run game, how that fits in, how the line play fits into the greater picture. Passing game. This is important in going ground combination and how to beat defense and coverage tendencies and stuff like that. So that was why Bill Belichick loves to move his his guys around. And sometimes he, uh, Josh Daniels started as a defensive coach. People don't remember that. He started on the defensive side of the ball. Knowing defense and how the defense is going to attack the offense is also really key to being a good offensive coordinator and play caller. So a lot of those things are why Bill Belichick likes to move guys around. And Troy Brown's a great example. I don't know if it will happen for Troy Brown. Gerard Mayo... I think is really uh should be interested in mo- in moving on from the Patriots organization because he's never going to from Steve Belichick here. He c- he could be the best
0: coach in the world, and they're not going to have him coach I mean, defense over Steve. So it's tough because like he he can't leave for a lateral move. Like that's just a slap in the face. So it, he might
1: have to though. Right, he might have to. He might have to leave for a lateral move because. A but lot you don't
0: think you don't think somebody will hire? Like maybe he doesn't get hired as a head coach right away. Like I, I honestly, I was a little surprised the Eagles jumped right there at that. But I, you don't think he can get a defensive coordinator job somewhere? Maybe not this year, but like next year. Sure, sure. I, I was that, thinking that's a not a lateral move. move. I, right, I understand what you're saying now. I was right. thinking
1: he was already in that sort of position.
0: No, so like the, the, the so that's the thing. Like he because because the Patriots won't give him the title. It kind of allows him to, even if the responsibilities are lateral, he can say, well, they're giving me the title, and you assume with the title they're giving me more money. So then it's, like, logical, but if he were to go be the linebacker coach, right, right, in, right. In, in, like, New Orleans or I don't know where there's an opening wherever, then that that's, that's a slap in the face to Belichick. He can't really do that, and that would be a red flag. If coaches are leaving for lateral moves – that, that would be a big time. No,
1: no, He's going to leave to go be a D.C. somewhere, somebody was going to call the defense so that he can get that on his resume, and I don't blame him for it. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Houston that hires him as a defensive coordinator. They obviously have a long history down there in Houston of Patriots defensive coordinators or Patriot ties to that defensive coordinator role, If you know, Mike Frabel and Romeo Cornell. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if whoever they hire as head coach at least considers Gerard Mayo for the defensive coordinator job, unless it's a, obviously a defensive-minded coach that goes in there, which I don't think it will because they're going to be looking to please Deshaun Watson. Uh We've been going for an hour. I'm going to table oh, the Deshaun Watson conversation for another day because that's uh, been done, and, and we can ta- tackle that topic another day. But I, I did signing ask- Haskins. Who is signing Haskins? Steelers did. The Steelers signed that. That's interesting. That's an interesting one. Uh, But continue. It's kind of interesting. Ben Roethlisberger, I think the Steelers are in the conversation for a quarterback as well this offseason. Yeah, but
0: that's not it. Was it interesting when the Patriots signed Cody Kessler? That's a good point.
1: Let's talk about the Senior Bowl really quickly before we sign off here. Next week's the Senior Bowl. This is – I think the best senior bowl roster I've ever seen. A lot of it has to do with the fact that underclassmen are feeding into the senior bowl this year because of the pandemic. A lot of guys miss their seasons. It's not just seniors that are playing in the, in the bowl game this year. This is a loaded, loaded senior bowl roster. Who are some of the guys that you're looking for? Obviously, a bunch of the Bama guys are going to be there. Devontae Smith is not participating in drills or in practice or in the game, but he's going to be there for interviews. Uh, Nigel Harris is there now. Mac Jones is participating.
0: This is a long, long list of guys that could be Patriots next year. Oh, yeah, you named all those Alabama guys, Who so obviously I'm a fan of Roll Tide. Um Everybody knows on Twitter. Mean I mean, the
1: offensive linemen from Bama that are going to be
0: down oh, there. Oh, Alex Leatherwood. I mean, if the Patriots have to draft the tackle, I hope it's Alex Leatherwood. Um, you know, Kadarius Tony, I think was the hardest player to tackle in college football, but the name I'm going to give you, Evan, I'm actually, so we're talking Florida, uh, uh, Alabama. I'm actually going to go to North University of North Texas here and a guy named Jalen Darden. And just he, here's the best way to sum up Jalen Darden. It was a quote he gave in an interview. It was either right before the season or early in the season. And so he's like a, a shifty kind of wide receiver. He said on his elusiveness quote, making someone miss is like waking up in the morning and brushing my teeth. I got to do it every day. I mean, he is like a ton of fun to watch. He can stop on a dime. He can juke really like, like his speed out of his juke is, is impeccable. He's a kick returner. Um, you know, he's a real technician. He is going to, some people have described him. As one of the best sleepers in the NFL draft in the last 10 or 20 years. I don't know that I think that's kind of an oxymoron because if you're a super notable sleeper, then you're not really a sleeper, but I get it because North Texas and all that. He's not going to be a first round pick or anything like that. And he's, he's, you know, not a surefire NFL prospect. He's a little bit on the shorter side. He's a little bit raw, but he's a guy that, you know, we talked about how the, there's been no good quarterbacks taken outside of the first round. You look at the recess, the success some teams have had with wide receivers late in day two and day three, especially these kind of, you know, the Tyreek Hill type, the kind of do it all, you know, wild card wide receivers. He fits into that mold and he has some really appealing natural abilities. So it's going to be interesting to see him you know, kind of on the same field next to legitimate NFL talent next to a Kadarius Tony next to a Jalen Waddle. Cause it's the same kind of guy, right? You have Jalen Waddle's the first the, the day one option. Kadarius Tony's the day two option, although he could get into the first round. And then Jalen Darden is your, like, those are the three tiers of that guy in this draft to me. I think that guy would be really appealing to the Patriots. So, I'm interested to see Darden next to those other two guys and how does he look compared to them. Obviously, when he's going up against like University of Charlotte and like Bridgewater State or whoever the hell uh, North Texas plays, he looks incredible. Let me see him up against elite FBS talent, but there's a name to watch. I certainly hope you're doing a threat on him. I think you'll have a lot of fun watching him. But, you know, when we start talking about the day three wide receivers, Jalen Darden is going to be a really, really fun guy to watch and a really fun guy to talk about.
1: It reminds me a little bit of Darnell Mooney. Uh, The Bears basically saved the Bears front office because he had a great rookie season and and the, the Bears owner was very pleased that they drafted him. And uh he's a four three eight guy, smaller build, 5'10", 175, sort of that Tyree Kill type of mold, like you said. And the Patriots, I think a lot of people think of Tyree and are like, oh, the Patriots, uh, you know, that's not their type of guy. They've never had that kind of guy. I, I agree to an extent, but the ro- role that they play Julian Edelman as a Z receiver off the line of scrimmage, they motion him around a lot. They play him mostly out of the slot, but he takes some reps on the outside from condensed splits and stuff like that. They have a role that exists already for a guy like a Jalen Waddle, like a Tony. Uh, they, those guys have translatable traits into this offense. I I can definitely see it. And then it, they also add, I think, a little bit more of that vertical speed or just like. I can score a touchdown anytime I touch the football type of right. speed. And maybe that can actually upgrade that role a little bit and expand that role a little bit to scheme touches, to vertical shots down the field. Some things that Julian Edelman might not necessarily have done as much in his career. Uh, some guys on the defense side of the ball, the senior bowl, Jonathan Cooper from Ohio State's, I think, a really interesting name. He's an edge defender, very powerful guy, strong upper body, can push the pocket, collapse the pocket, and set the edge and stop the run. Your typical Patriot two-way defensive end, right? A guy that can do a little bit of everything and certainly uh, hold up against the run. And we got to mention Marvin Wilson. I I hope he doesn't get drafted by the Patriots too early, but he's that classic nose tackle that they've been missing. Really, uh, I would say they haven't had, I mean, Danny Shelton had that good, Season that good spurt of games there in 2019, he was pretty solid. Um, but since Alan Branch left, I, I don't know if they've really fully replaced that role. Marvin Wilson has a chance to be able to do that. Uh, you, we mentioned all the Bama guys. Um, Mari Rogers from Clemson's another receiver that if you're looking for more of that Patriots prototype of like a technician slot receiver that just moves well and gets in and out of his breaks quickly and and does those types of things well. Rogers is sort of a day three wide receiver conversation that I think can be an interesting player. But again. You know Bill Belichick's eyes are going to be down there on Mobile. They have a week of practice next week, then the game on Saturday, jam-packed with tons and tons of NFL prospects. So Alex and I will be back on the podcast next week to talk about the Senior Bowl more uh, in depth as well as react to whatever happens on Sunday in the uh, conference championship games too. Uh, Shout-out to our sponsors, BetOnline.ag. One more time, both of the conference title games are up on BetOnline.ag. I think they're both uh, field goal uh Spreads right now, three point spreads in favor of Kansas really? City
0: and in favor of Green Bay. Well, that's got to be because they don't know that Mahomes officially playing yet, right?
1: Maybe that could be why. Uh, although it does sound like Mahomes is going to play, um, barring some sort of major setback. But, uh, but last time I checked, they were minus three on both games right now. So, oh, okay. if you like that, maybe maybe you uh, want to take up uh, that that wager. And go ahead and our friends at betonline.ag. Use that promo code CLNS50. And we will be back next week on the pod, like I said, breaking down the Senior Bowl, breaking down the conference championship games. And uh, Alex, once again, uh, very excited to be doing this with you long term and have you back on the CLNS airwaves. Uh, this is where we belong, right? Talking football with each other. Not just over text message. Now we actually get to bring it back on air again. So uh, I'm very excited to do that with you, my friend. You too. Until next week, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening.